Welcome everybody to our next episode of Spark Sesh. I am here today with Lucy Davison, founder and managing director of Keen as Mustard Marketing based in the UK. And we're going to be talking a little bit about um, the story, a couple of stories that are interesting about market research for everyone to learn about and um, a couple of things about the importance of trust uh, of consumers and of people in the work that we do, because Lucy has been paying a lot of attention to that throughout her career. And first and foremost, I would love to hear from you as an American interviewing you with hopefully other American listeners. What does keen as mustard mean? Oh, thank you, Nikki. It's really lovely to be here. Um, yeah, keen as mustard. A lot of people get confused. What the hell is that? <laughs> um, yeah, it's the, the concept of mustard as something that's really excellent. Uh, which came around in the kind of late 1700s, I think, when um, when mustard was first discovered. The mustard seed, it, or when they made it into a condiment. When they made it into a condiment. Okay. And stuff. I mean, it is grown everywhere, but but realistically, it became incredibly popular as a way of bringing out flavour in food. And then people would be described if they were an excellent person, they'd be described as mustard. Wow, um, I didn't know that. Just as mustard. Oh, he's really mustard. And it kind of means super keen. Well, keen as mustard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of leading and, 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 and incredibly energetic and enthusiastic. So I thought keen as mustard was a perfect name for a marketing company. I'm actually really glad that you described that because I have to be honest that I, I genuinely didn't know what it meant. You were like, let's talk about the name. And I'm like, no, no, I really don't know what keen as mustard means. I thought it meant like spicy, like feisty. Yeah, I mean, it's got a bit of that because, after all, mustard is a you know is is a spice. But I mean, it's 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 the energy and the vibrancy and the the, the, the those connotations. Yeah, um, and it's really about bringing out the flavour. So I chose it for the company name because we're a communications agency, and you add mustard to something to make it make its real flavours come out rather than replace the flavour. That's the idea. So well, that's a perfect segue, actually. Companies to bring out there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Because I was literally going to be like, tell us what Keen of Mustard does, because I know a little bit, but obviously some of the people who are listening do not know. So what exactly do you do? Well, we're um, the world's first and still only communications agency, which specializes on data and insights. So we use data and insight to communicate in all sorts of ways. And we Mm -hmm. do that with clients who are agencies. So they might have offers and services they want to sell to, um, you know, marketing clients or or big big organizations or small Mm -hmm. ones. Mm -hmm. And we also work with end clients, helping them get impact from the insights that they have. So internal communications, but all aspects of communicating with data and insight. So for the regular regular person buying something at the store, what is an end client? What does that mean? Right. That means somebody who runs or works in an insights team. And so that means um, uh, the people who are helping input to the strategy and the direction of an organization and helping create products or come up with ideas or services. And the core element of that is what the customer thinks and what the potential consumer thinks. So they need to find out and understand people. Awesome. Okay, well, that's a really good sort of glimpse into the a little bit of the breadth of what you do, because I know that you are doing some really interesting stuff. And when we were talking about um, in preparation for this podcast interview, you were telling me about some of the really interesting stories that you get exposed to as somebody who's working.
specifically in communication. And um, considering that we're now doing this this podcast interview post-election <laughs> in the United States, and um, as we saw with the 2016 elections, there's been a little bit of shift in uh, how the consumer thinks about things like polling and how consumer thinks consumers think about um, sharing their opinions on any such topic, whether it's something that they buy or a candidate they might be interested in. Um, and so we were talking, you and I, about the importance of, of having people trust our our work. So based on, you know, all of the, the history and the great work that you've done, what's your opinion in terms of, you know, what what is the state of the union in terms of whether or not people trust research and researchers and what we do? I think it's problematic right now. Mm. And I think in, I think researchers should be extremely concerned because the, the vast majority of the public think of researchers, of market researchers, polling. Mm-hmm. And although the polling is actually invariably very accurate, uh, in the recent elections, I think my understanding is that it's fallen on the line between, uh, you know, sort of 48, 52% and that gap in the middle, which is a reasonable uh, margin of error, unfortunately mm-hmm. also falls on the line between somebody winning and somebody losing and predicting it the wrong way. So I know that there are a lot of um, discussions around that, but fundamentally, um we need to widen the understanding of research and how it's integrated and involved in everybody's lives. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of one of the big motivations I have. Uh, The reason I'm so excited about communicating insights is because, uh, you know, we really genuinely can contribute to to making the world a better place. Yeah. And um, I mean, I can think of just off the top of my head, a couple of stories around that, which... Um, which are ones that you kind of come across on an everyday basis working in insights um, and uh, which makes it such a fascinating industry. But um, I mean, one story I remember hearing really just explained very clearly how market research actually saves lives. Um, Tell me about it. Are you allowed? Are you allowed to share it? There's a a region in India called Uttar Pradesh, which is, I think, if it was a country, would be the seventh largest country in the world. Oh, my goodness. Okay. (laughs) So it's it's just a small little piece of land. (laughs) Yes, just small. Um, um, But there are, I mean, I think that's in terms of population. But they have 200,000 deaths a year due to diarrhea, and the vast majority of those amongst small infants mm. and um the um the world health organization were distributing sachets for uh treatment of diarrhea which had exactly what they needed in them you put them in water if you have fresh water and um you mix it up and gave it to your baby and it made your baby better Mm-hmm. And so they were very heavily promoting these sachets and getting them around um, into all these villages. And, and they found that they only had 30% use. So wow. so 70% of, of, of people in Uttar Pradesh were rejecting these sachets. And they actually did, um, and they were heavily marketing them to the, uh, the, the healthcare providers, most of which were informal healthcare providers, not necessarily trained doctors. Yep. Anyway, the long and the short is they did research with the mums and they spoke directly to the mothers and they understood why they didn't like these sachets. And it was very much about the perception of what makes a good, effective treatment. And the mums thought injections were effective treatments or pills were effective treatments. And they didn't think a sachet was serious enough, as it were. And, wow. um the people providing the sachets, the, the local doctors, 
Uh, they were doing what the mums wanted them to do because they weren't actually trained doctors. So the mums would take their custom elsewhere if they didn't get the treatment that they wanted. So effectively, the doctors were simply providing whatever the mums had asked for. So anyway, they retargeted it. They did a whole education program with the mothers as well as with the, the healthcare professionals. And um, they completely changed the way they marketed and distributed the sachets. And they had 20% more children. So 50% of children started being given these sachets, which means that they were saving thousands and thousands of lives every year just yes. by doing some decent in market market research research yeah um, it's funny that you mentioned that because it reminds me actually of um and i've been trying to think about it as you were telling the story i can't remember the name of the documentary but there's actually a documentary that i watched not that long ago on netflix maybe a week or two ago and it's similar the the reason why they needed to make some changes was the reverse but the story is similar it's that there was a group of doctors who were studying um medicine resistant tuberculosis in peru i want to say and um they figured out a way to treat it, but people were not taking the treatment. And when they kind of investigated what was going on, they realized that they actually needed to use community healthcare workers and have community healthcare workers go around and make sure that the drugs were being administered and being taken properly. And when they did that, the success rate of the treatment went up to like 60 or 70 percent um, in the community. And what I th thought was really, really funny and, and reminded me of our conversation about this is that the other doctors, so the peers of the group of doctors that had gone there and said, hey, we've just figured out that we just need to kind of utilize this community healthcare worker network. The other doctors didn't believe them. They said, there's no way the data could be 60, 70% success rate. There's no way you're fudging the numbers. And so even when, you know, they had the data, they had yeah. the data there was some mistrust in, yeah. in the data there, yeah. which yeah. is a sad well, I think, thing. I mean, <sighs> I think you have to, it's it, fundamentally, you know, seeing is believing. And um, at the end of the day, yes, we've all had charts shown. I mean, this whole COVID thing, you know, yes. like all of a sudden the government's showing us charts every day. And frankly, it's badly done. It's not doing market research, any kind of a service. Quite often the data is a bit suspect. Mm -hmm. The way it's presented is really bad. Mm -hmm. uh, the charts are all over the place. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, I feel it's not helpful to the general public. They're thinking of research as something that kind of is just used to twist a story. Yes, um, that's true. And, you know, but whereas, you know, the, as much awareness that we can get of insight and research and data and how our data is being used and have the follow through. Here. I mean, you know, another example, which I was doing an interview just the other week, from a commercial perspective, you know, we can input to how companies do things. We right. can, you know, so it's a it's a really good way of having our voice heard. Right. Um, and you know, I mean, lots of commercial companies obviously are really, really proactive about this because they actively want to produce products and services that are really going to be, you know, the right relevant. Thing yeah. Need, you know. Um, but, um, you know, I mean, another story, I was talking to uh, the head of uh, Insight at Danone Waters, who produce a lot of, um, you know, healthy water-based drinks. Um, yeah. And they did some research into what the idea of healthy meant to different generations. And they found that um, the idea of healthy for an older generation was very different from the idea of healthy for a younger generation. So the older people saw health as an absence of something. So um, the removal of sugar or the removal of additives made something more healthy. 
Mm. Whereas for younger people, they saw health as the addition of something. So you add in vitamins, for example, right. or you add in fruit juice. Um, wow. So it was a really interesting, completely contrasting thing. I said, but then, of course, it means very clearly that they can appropriately design products and services which are going to be the right thing for that audience and actually make, make sure the audience gets what they want and what appeals to them. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of, new, you know, real people in the real world, uh, as if we're not there, but, you know, <laughs> they don't understand the extent to which market research and, and insight is really just underpinning and driving so many decisions. And it's not yes. just about a PowerPoint chart, which the Prime Minister sticks up on the screen and fails to communicate it's really really much deeper than that and much broader than that yeah i was just thinking about that again as you were talking i was thinking about how many friends of mine you know even people that know me well and you know they still don't have entirely a 100 percent accurate picture of what it is that i do (laughs) you know they're like oh she does something relating to marketing well sometimes kind of not everything i do is related to marketing um but there's a lot of people where when i finally I'm able to communicate, you know, what kind of research that I do. I actually test ideas. I test products. I test, you know, pick pick up, pick anything in your house, pick something on your computer. I've probably tested it with people before to make sure it's working, to make sure they understand. And one of the first things that gets said very, very often when I have these conversations is, oh, well, I wish... I wish more companies would do research. And then I, I say, what do you mean? And they say, oh, well, I don't know. An example would be back in the days when travel still happened. Well, I just took the Eurostar and the customer service was awful. And I really wish that somebody would do some research on this. And I'm like, they do tons of research on their customer service. And people just aren't aware. They, They feel like they're living in a bubble where everything they touch is not being researched when actually so much of what we do is being crafted with a specific need set in mind it's being communicated with specific things in mind totally like what you're talking about with these you know with denon waters and and sometimes it's being communicated as with something added and sometimes it's being communicated as like sulfate free um and that's that's on purpose that's by design um and i think people don't realize that no and i think they also think that we're doing it in a way that isn't ethical Mm. And I think it's really, really important for you know consumers to really understand that there are people in the world who do collect their data and analyze their data and aggregate their data and look at it with other different sources and blend it with things and do all that kind of stuff to make these decisions. Yeah. And they're doing it in a way that means it's completely ethical, that the consumer is you know not identified it as an individual with their data they're not going to sell them anything and you know there are organizations like um smr for example which both you and i are obviously involved with Mm -hmm. which have codes and guidelines which means that people who are members abide by those and they are doing it in an ethical way and actually we did a really interesting study recently which showed um amongst consumers which showed that if companies are completely open and transparent about what they're doing with data and how they're using it so if they only would talk more about what they do with the data and how they how they integrate it in their business, that consumers would see that as a more, you know, a positive part of that company brand, not just informative, but actually actively building trust in that brand and making them like the brand more and more likely to buy it. Yeah. So it's actually, you know, a really, really core element, which I think that uh, a lot of people, uh, a lot of organizations don't talk about 
the research and the work that they do like that. Yeah. Yeah. Feel, you know, competitive, you know, people are going to steal it or whatever. You know, I think that's rubbish. I think yeah. we should be open and as transparent as we possibly can and talk about as much as we can because I think, you know, we need people to take part in, in research. We need people to join us. Yeah, absolutely. I've been thinking about that myself too. For probably since as long as I've had MindSpark going, I've been talking to clients about this idea of the feedback loop, which is, you know, it's one thing to recruit people to participate in research and particularly in qualitative research where we really ask people sometimes to kind of like sell, like spill their guts, you know, they're really telling us sometimes some very personal things and, and, and sharing things with you know, ultimately people who are strangers um, for the quote unquote benefit of a brand, but obviously the, you know, with the hopes that the the consumer is also going to see a benefit. So I've been trying to talk to clients for ages about, you know, let's make two reports. Let's do the report, which is for you and advises you how to move things forward. And then let's do the report that you share back with all of the people that participated in the research to say, hey, thanks to you, we were able to adjust this ketchup bottle. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, yeah, hey, we flip the ketchup bottle upside down so we can make it squirt. Yeah, exactly. Wow, I've changed my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, anytime I'm, you know, obviously being based in France, I there the passion for culinary anything is very high over here. So every time I'm doing something in the kitchen, I'm I'm opening soup, you know, the soups are all sold in cardboard boxes here. And there's this like dotted line and it says like cut here. And I'm telling you in like 90% of the time I cut and the soup just explodes. <laughs> and I'm like, where's the user research for this box, you know? Um, and maybe there is some being done and everybody in France is totally capable of opening this soup without a mess and it's just me or you know you learn it's, school in France obviously yes you must do <laughs> but I, I do think it's one of those things where people would trust us more if we told them how their feedback was being used because everything's very secretive right it's like tell us about your family structure and how often you go to the shop and which things do you keep in the fridge versus things you don't keep in the fridge and they're like why do you want to know and we're like we can't tell you it's like well why <laughs> yeah and of course they're not going to trust us and then and that's obviously on the qualitative side not even mentioning things that have been coming up um in relation to social media and all of that, where you hear all of the things about, well, I, you know, they take your data and then they sell you up and down the stream. And, you yeah. know, I'm not going to comment on how much of that is true because because I feel like I don't actually know and I'm not really the person who is as educated as I uh, would need to be in order to come on, on this effectively. But I will say that the people who reach out to you specifically and say, hey, Lucy, um, it just so happens that we're looking for somebody with a writing background who likes to ski um, and you fit our profile. <laughs> Would you like to participate in a conversation for an hour with one of our researchers to discuss, um, you know, some new skiing journalism, something or other that we're going to come up with? You know, the people who reach out to you like that are really, you know, interested in in your perspective and your personality yeah. and your opinions and yeah. we have and, so and, much and opportunity it, it's really hilarious actually nikki that you say this i have almost never in fact no i have never taken part in any market research is it because you disqualify yourself i disqualify myself exactly and i would love you know let's face it i'm not lacking in opinions and i'm also not lacking in um you know i'm not shy at coming forward so mm. 
just love to do research interviews and get paid for it. Get paid for my <laughs> But um, no, I was so. In, do you not even participate in like? Do you Sorry. not even participate in like customer service things? So like, let's say oh, you, you take a flight yeah. and they're like, how yeah. was your flight? Yeah, you I do, do that. that. So British Airways, you know, they send me a text when I land somewhere yeah. well, in the days when we did that. And, yeah. you know, and I, always rep- I always respond to as many things as I possibly can. And I also, if I am sent to quantitative survey and I am actually the target for it, I always make a point of, of doing it. Yeah. Um, have you I, been contacted for a qual at any uh, point? I've been contacted for a qual, but I'm nearly always ruled out. But um, uh, I've contacted on the phone a few times, just like, you know, phone surveys. Yeah. Uh, hmm. I was ruled out from the one I got two days ago. Um, because of your marketing old. background? Oh, no, stop it. <laughs> so they must have been recruiting teenagers only is They're what you're saying. millennials. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, that was a bit of a shock. That was the first time that happened. Always, <laughs> oh, you work in marketing or market research, so you can't do it. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, hey, maybe we should do some industry qualitative interviews. Because, I mean, you you did some stuff with reps at SMR. You did some interviews. You conducted oh, some. Yeah, I'm always doing... Um, oh, oh, don't get me wrong. I do tons of qualitative depth. <laughs> but you don't interviews. get to be asked all I the questions. I don't get to be on the receiving end. <laughs> Well, if Um, it will make you feel better, I will interview you about not a podcast, but I will interview you. I'll make up a study and I'll be like, make up a study for me. I'd love to do (laughs) it. I've been commissioned. I've been commissioned to report on specifically people who are founding and founders and managing directors of uh, insights related uh, marketing agencies based in the UK. Do you know anyone? Oh, God, that's great because that really is the only one. But um, I I think. I think that, uh, I mean, I do a lot of interviews on behalf of our clients, you know, for developing marketing strategy and positioning strategies. And um, I do a lot of depth interview with researchers with precisely mm. that in mind. I do yeah. that. Um, so, so, well, this is actually also a good segue to my next question, which is thinking about, again, I, I never know the right way to frame to frame this because, you know, I imagine that somebody's going to be listening to this podcast and they're not going to be working in an industry. And I don't want to call them the average Joe because, first of all, could be a woman. I hope it is. Second of all, nothing about you is average if you're listening to this. But, um, you know, what for people who are not in our industry and they're just going about their daily lives, what do you think that they're missing about the work that we do? What are some things that we can we can do to kind of rebuild um i think i think it should be um you know a core part of what people learn at school actually Mm. i think we should be going right down to helping people understand what and identify and take part in creating uh what you know what the truth is effectively yeah, uh, and I'm very aware that truth is not a kind of finite thing, but I want people to be aware of how data is used, how it's gathered, how it's analysed, how it can be manipulated, so that they can be aware and understand what people are doing with it. And I think, you know, to be, to have that awareness would mean that you were then able to assess and judge when somebody's spouting something that is complete rubbish. And somebody is saying something that is obviously grounded in 
reality as far as it as it can be. So, so I, I think that is really really important, and I and I think it's also really interesting, and I think I, people really enjoy it if they got more involved with it. I have a cheeky little question for you then, off the back of that, which you may not have prepared for, but oh, <laughs> I'm interested to know your opinion. Do you do you think then, if um, there was some kind of you know curricula around? you know, I don't know, what would you call it? Um, being able well, to think it's sift through data? Statistics or... and, um, and, you know, uh, critical thinking. I mean, I did a lot of, you know, when you study English literature, which I did in my first degree, you do a lot of critical thinking and analysis and you look at text and you're able yeah. to identify what is really going on with the text and what is, you know, and what is embellishment and what is... And I think it's a really core skill that yeah. people should be taught at a young age. So if it if it were taught more widely than it may be being taught now as as someone that has two two daughters who have gone through the educational system more recently than you or I um you probably know what is being taught but if it were taught more widely than it probably is now do you think that would have an impact on a recent elections in either of our two home countries I have enormous faith and hope and belief in younger people I think what's certainly what's had just happened in the US is extremely exciting and positive because it seems that young people are getting involved in politics in a way that they certainly didn't in my generation. Everyone was far more cynical and fed up. Uh, and I feel like my daughters are extremely interested and motivated. You know, I probably heavily encouraged them and had a lot of political conversations with them as they were growing up and, and talked a lot about you know, understanding evidence and the, how you use evidence to construct an argument and how important that is. Yeah. So um, I feel like actually young people are really well placed. I feel like there's, it's actually probably an older generation of people who have not um, engaged to the extent that they probably um, could have done. Yeah. And, find themselves believing all sorts of rubbish yeah. i mean i'm obviously vastly vastly generalizing here sure you know, of course of course yeah um, certainly with my daughters interestingly one of them uh has gone into social science and so she's reading anthropology and sociology which is obviously a fabulous degree to do when you're thinking of about course going into any kind of insight although she would no doubt run a mile and call me if she wants an internship yeah well, i would just love it if she got into it because i think she would be fascinated by it yeah. i think find it really really interesting yeah um and then my other daughter's an artist and has not done anything at all related to social sciences or or mathematics or, or any of that side of uh, of market research. However, she's particularly interested in curation. Oh, and I think that is actually almost like a part of because the, the the evidence. You know, we need to curate what we're doing in terms of communicating it, and we need to think about you know what is important and what is not important, and the you know the value of certain pieces of data and how we put that together and um so she's doing she's applying for an ma at the moment in curation which i think is going to be super interesting for her although she's a fine artist she's a sculptor yeah oh she's a sculptor mm. sculptures maybe well i say sculptor i mean these days they call it 3d and Same. actually doing sound sculptures so it's not even what yeah, yeah. 
I don't even know what that means, but that we should talk about that another time yes. because I'm, I really want to learn about it now. <laughs> I want to learn about it. But yeah, curation, you're right, is such a, it's, it's one of the most important skills I think you can have in the work that we do um, is, is the idea of being able to, especially in qualitative, you know, I think, I think qualitative research. So for, for people listening who don't necessarily know what that means, qualitative is the type of uh, research where you're actually talking to people, having conversations, interviewing them. Um, It's about discussion. Quantitative is more about numbers. So it's a larger group of people, surveys, there's a lot of data coming in. Um, And I think qualitative sometimes gets short shrift because people think, oh, well, you have to have these very advanced degrees in order to be able to do quantitative. You have to be a statistician or an economist or something like that. But do you know the skill that it takes to distill mountains of unstructured data? So much, you know, curation has to happen there. And and I think it is partially talent and partially skill that takes time to, to learn over over the course of years and experience and exposure. So um, I would be really interested to to see what your daughter thinks of that, you know. You know, I'm really interested to see how she gets on. I mean, she's still she's still an undergraduate, so she's applying for her postgrad at the moment. We'll see. Very exciting. Well, so, I mean, I know we talked as well about, uh, you know, potentially sharing a story specifically around, um, you know, the importance of trust between the people who are the participating elements in our research and the research that we do. Do you have any other stories up your sleeve that you're able to share from any of the cool work that you do? Well, it was, I mean, in a way... um, it was really what we were talking earlier about the stuff we did with SMR in terms of finding out that actually it's really helpful to organisations to talk about the research that they do and mm-hmm. it actually helps drive trust and it drives trust in a brand and, and not just in research and in the data and amongst, you know. So what were the ways that, that the organisations were sharing what they were doing? Were they... Right. What were the ways that the organizations were sharing about the research they were doing? Were they doing press releases? Were they, you know, sending out reports to... They weren't. Okay. So nobody was doing this. So people were not sharing the result. And so we asked the question about if people were to share and to tell you how it was used, what would mm-hmm. that make you think about them mm-hmm. and how would you respond to them? And they were all universally i would buy more stuff from that company wow i would would be more motivated to find out about that company to you know to have a closer connection with them and think about them more often you know it was it was super positive so have you made recommendations in terms of like what what do you think is the best way for sharing out um you know something that companies can actually act on always and i think that um i think that uh it very much depends on what the research is and you know we're always um you know your method agnostic you know in terms of how you approach understanding people and you know we're method agnostic in terms of how we communicate Mm -hmm. it could be you know, people can do infographics. It could be a press release. I mean, we did a lot of work with the media, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, getting uh, the right kind of insight done properly in a press release into the media is, you know, that's another whole whole can of worms because yes. as we, we use data to support their different 
points. Right. So it's actually journalists, you know, influencing the media is super important. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, you know, really difficult. So, um, uh, but there are lots of different ways that you can communicate insight. Um, and obviously social media is, is a is a great way of communicating. But, um, but you know, you have to be very careful with making sure that what you're doing is, you know, properly grounded and the data is absolutely spot on and it's ethical and, yeah. I mean, yeah. making visuals, you know, like infographics, things like that is great. Or even just memes, you know. Yeah. Memes, memes are the... Um, I, I actually just read something not that long ago that says that memes are only used by millennials <laughs> i don't know how you feel about really? this but it says oh, that the generation that millennial then yeah. perhaps yeah so i guess you can call those survey people back and say as a matter of fact um <laughs> i am a millennial um but yeah no there's there's this sort of like generational argument happening in an article where it was who comes after millennials the gen z is it gen gen z oh, the that comes after us yeah. yeah so they're always making fun of so i'm a millennial and they're always making fun like oh you know, how we're like, okay, boomer. They're like, okay, millennials. Why don't you send another meme? And I'm like, I do send a lot of memes. <laughs> <laughs> Busted. I feel seen right now. I feel attacked. Yeah. But, you know, as I say, the method of getting the getting the insight across is as long as, or as many ways as you like. You how know? long ago did you do this research, by the way? Because I'm sitting here hearing it going like, this is a big deal. And like, I feel like I should be calling everyone I know being like, have you ever considered? Uh, it wasn't that long ago, but it was, I think, pre-COVID. But uh, I mean, still, I think it's, I think what you're saying is really valid and super important. I know that um, we had a couple of conversations around the Black Lives Matter movement and just kind of like social movements in general, because there are some things happening as well in India and different parts of the country. I know there's some things that, you know, cropped up in Malaysia and there's always things happening about um, migrants and refugees and all of that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of people who are saying, well, listen, brands need to start paying attention to this stuff and they need to get it right and they need to have you know relevant messaging. And then there are other people who are saying, but if you don't do the research into you know the foundational research to make sure you properly understand what is happening with black americans don't just put out a statement saying we support black americans and then come to find out that actually none of your supply chain is a black owned business as an example you know things like this and so when i hear what you're saying about how much trust can be generated by sharing the research i feel like that's the kind of thing that starts to make the conversation two-way even when you start thinking about things like black lives matter it's like okay here's the research we've done so far world where are we miss? What are we missing? And and that's a, a huge opportunity for people to say, well, actually, we I don't feel heard, um, and I would love to be your customer, but I don't feel heard. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like you know it's a core part of a good you know a positive functioning modern democracy. Yeah. It's actually, ensuring that we do speak to people and we do listen to people who are all you know from all different types of community. Yes. And. It is absolutely the case that in insights we are overwhelmingly white, middle class, educated, mm -hmm. well off. Mm -hmm. You know, and how on earth are we supposed to understand really the needs of different groups and communities that we, you know, it's so important that 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 we employ and engage with and listen to 
really the, the, the true nature, the true reflection of the markets and the countries where we operate. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I found that whole Black Lives Matter thing very upset. It was a bandwagon. People were jumping on a bandwagon and I was like, why the hell are these companies saying this stuff? Yeah, and and without well, meaning, they, you know? Yeah. yeah, I mean, and they just haven't done it. And they clearly weren't grounding it in research, as you right. say. Right. Yeah, I mean, platitudes. Yes, exactly. And I've got, you know, plenty of friends in the industry who have been on the the side of the conversation where they're just being overlooked and ignored. And, you know, they are marginalized in life and then they are marginalized again in research um, because people are just skipping the research and going straight to the here, you know, here's my brand logo on a black background in white text. So you no. know what that means, right? <laughs> here I am. I'm, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm just making a statement here. But you know, yeah. they're not actually doing anything meaningful. So, yeah, yeah I think it's um, I, I've been thinking about this. Yeah, as I said, for at least as long as MindSpark has existed, which is just over six years, about this the need really for two way communication. Two way. I think that people, you know regular people will say quote unquote don't necessarily understand what we do or why we do it or that it can benefit them or how they can impact the you know brands or services that mean anything to them and then the said brands or services only see regular people as a source of potential money and not as a source of actual you know brand growth and i don't mean growth as in percentage of increase of sales quarter over quarter i mean expansion of your ideology and mm. actually developing a relationship with people um mm. because that's what um do you remember were you in smr's congress in nice in like mm -hmm. 2000 and i don't remember when yes i was 12 or something yes um i interviewed this was how i met adam um, and probably how I eventually ended up meeting you was um, I had to interview the former CEO of Saatchi and Saatchi who, who okay. wrote a red paper because he didn't want to call it a white paper. Mm -hmm. um, I forget his name, but it was about um, brand love specifically. Oh, yes. um, and uh, I won't get into the, the topic I won't get into his red paper or into him, but I will say that it was my first kind of deep dive into a third party perspective, I will say, because Saatchi and Saatchi is neither the brand nor the buyer, yeah. right? They're sort of a third party. And it was my first time diving into this third party perspective of somebody saying, here's how a relationship a brand and a buyer can look. Um, and again, without without getting into the merits of what was written there, it was definitely an eye opener. And, you know, everyone talks about brand love, everyone talks about brand loyalty, and we know that it's a possible thing that can exist. And there's probably brands you're loyal to, there's probably brands I'm loyal to. But it's not something that as a consumer, I make a conscious choice about every day, unless I really feel like a brand gets me. And like, are there brands today that really get anyone? Or is everyone just in this constant scramble? And there's got to be a couple that are doing it right. But I think this this trust thing is really it's like it's a backbone yeah, and it's not I there. Think, I think far too few brands stand by their too few brands are set up with good core principles and stick to them. Mm. Do you think there's a difference between 
brands that are like coming onto the scene now in terms of their core principles and brands that have existed for a generation or two? I think, yes, I think there is. I mean, I think a lot, you're more likely to get a brand that is coming along now, which says it's organic or it has sustainable, uses sustainable resources or it won't use sweatshops or, you know, there are more brands more likely to be set up on an ethical basis now. And I do think that looking at my children, those are the brands that do appeal to them. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, uh, there have always been brands that were set up with ethical principles and unfortunately through the course of history they nearly always sell out yeah and that's just the way it goes you know the way the cookie crumbles my grandma used to say yeah exactly (laughs) well we're nearing the end of our well we haven't been chatting on this podcast for an hour but we've been chatting with each other for an hour because i'm always able to chat with you because it's so lovely speaking to you so i won't keep you forever and ever but just wanted to ask any final comments or feedback or thoughts specifically around the relation a buyer a brand and the trust that exists yeah i mean i, I it's just it's really that i completely agree with you there is the opportunity for it to be two-way and at the moment it isn't and what role can researchers play in help? Well, researchers are, you know, the the conduit, really, aren't they? Um, I mean, you know, it's been a long time that we've had planning and advertising. You were talking about Saatchi's earlier, you know, uh, the whole concept of a planner who ultimately is helping with the strategy for the communication and is doing it with a view of being the voice of the consumer or the customer. So making sure that whatever is created is is truly appropriate and relevant. And that's often based in, in branded in research. And that's been around for a really long time now. Um, but I feel like it partly sometimes just doesn't happen. And ultimately the decision is made based on not on the consumer, but on based on whatever the person wearing the most expensive suit wants to do. Um, and, I also feel like it doesn't work the other way. So, um, Mm. you know, there's a lot of take from the general public, from consumers in terms of their opinions and what their needs are and asking lots of questions and getting to do horrible surveys and da-da-da-da-da. And actually, there really isn't enough give back in terms of that core part of that relationship, which I think is a really big opportunity. Totally agree. This is why I like you so much, Lucy, (laughs) which is not to say that I will only talk to people on my podcast that agree with me, because actually debates are some of the best, best kind of conversations to be had. But I think on this particular topic, we are aligned. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, I'm going to end the recording now. Thank you so much for being uh, with us today. And hopefully we'll have another chance to talk to you again soon. Yeah, I hope so. I look forward to it. Thanks, Nikki.